Welcome to another episode of the Meta Magic. This time with John Medina. Learn a little more about the man who is John Medina and why magic and a lot of other things in his life truly inspire him to greatness. Enjoy the show. What drives you to accomplish what you accomplished so far? Hmm. Sounds like a pretty serious question. <laughs> I think with everything that I do, I always want to uh, succeed or I guess kind of be the best at whatever I do. Uh, that's something that my dad instilled in me when I was young. Uh, he, he always wanted me to, uh, to succeed and to overachieve, so to speak. It was, it was never good enough to do, you know, the minimum or, or to, to get there. He always wanted, uh, wanted me to be better than that. I guess everything I do, I just kind of take that approach, even, even a hobby like magic. <laughs> now you've made a real, name for yourself, and a presence in the community. What puts you on that path? The big thing that that helped just catapult me was the Pack to Power series that I wrote on Gathering Magic. Um, and, I mean, as far as, like, did I think that I was going to go on this path? Did I think that, you know, people in the magic community would ever, you know, listen to me? Or, I mean... I'm not convinced that most of them do now anyways, but, uh, but I mean, you know, I, I didn't really ever think about that stuff. Like I just kind of, it all started with Twitter and, uh, and just writing and I wanted to write, I wanted to write something that was interesting and I wanted to entertain people. So I just started talking on Twitter and writing. I think the, a, a big fall because people were interested in the, in the financial side of magic, in the trading side, like how to advance their collection and, uh, you know, how to put less money into it. And so I think that it just kind of like was the kind of right place, right time. It became, I, I guess I kind of became this, uh, this small voice in the community, you know. What would you advise people to, to make a name for themselves? Like, I think one of the things is, is that, uh, what's really been working for me is, is, uh, to kind of buy what you say, you know, and uh, first of all, don't say anything unless you're sure that you want to say it, you know, <laughs> like uh, if you say something, the community is very close. So, um, you know, I, I, I got a lot of I got a lot of crap for talking about trading in the way that I did, uh, because people uh, think that some of the ways that I approach trading was uh, underhanded or, you know, kind of you know, a scumbag way of doing things. And, uh, you know, like before I wrote articles, I had to consider myself, well, there's, there's this close knit community that I'm talking to and they're going to pick apart everything that I say. And I'm not going to be there to explain like my point of view. So I have to be ready for people to not like me or people to, you know, uh, people to say bad things. And I think for someone who's who's just getting acquainted with the community, some of them I think learn the hard way that the, sometimes they say something, uh, the community goes in an uproar, or people in the community go in an uproar, and they don't really know how to deal with that. They're just kind of like either they try to placate the people, or they try to uh, fight, or you know. So all, my my advice in that respect would be to just. Uh, first, just think about what you say before you say it, and then once you do say something, commit to it and, you know, stand your ground, you know, you don't, don't let people push you around and, you know, just because people get pissed off doesn't mean you need to stop what you're doing, you know, you should, you should, I guess, check what you're doing, make sure it's right by your standards and by your morals, and then go for it and, and, you know, let the trolls be damned, like, it doesn't matter, you know. What is it about magic that drew your attention and focus? Um, I think it's the, I, I think it's like my, my view of myself. Like, I always, uh, I always looked at myself as like, I thought of myself as an intelligent guy. So I always wanted to, uh, I guess, match wits with people or battle intellect. So, um, the magic community is, is full of a lot of smart people, definitely people who are smarter than me. But, like, getting into it, I never realized that. 
So I always thought to myself, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to learn this, I'm going to master this game and I'm going to be this, you know, this intellectual giant, you know, <laughs> just kind of like flexing my muscles of intellect. But I mean, you know, I think part of me, uh, in general, I grew up since I first started playing Magic. It's really been because of Magic or, you know, I'm sure that some of the, some of the interaction with the community has something to do with it, but, um, I, I'm just like, I mean, I've been playing Magic for, I guess, about around five years now. So, like, in the, in the last five years of my twenties, you know, I've, I've done some growing up. So, I think that I have a more realistic view of myself and I realize that, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the room or, you know, whatever. So, like, that whole aspect of Magic, like, trying to be a great Magic player is just insane because there's so many people who are so much better, uh, at the game than you, you know, and that's just kind of, it, kind of humbles you and puts things in perspective, you know. Legit MTG. Why did you create the site? Um, I've always wanted to be a, uh, a content provider. Um, I used to, uh, I used to write, uh, basically, I, I kind of, I compiled, and I don't even know what, what the words are, but basically I produced this, uh, magazine on spirituality. Uh, that's what I used to do before I start playing magic. Um, and so the magazine had like interviews with like, uh, Christian musicians and like it had theology in it and Bible studies and stuff like this. So that kind of like coming from that kind of background where I was providing this content, uh, the spiritual content to people, um, I kind of wanted to do the same thing in magic is provide content that people enjoyed and that people were, that entertained people. Um, so that's, that's kind of like, that's kind of where that came from. I mean, if you look back, you'll see like my Twitter name used to be MTG metagame. Yes. And, uh, that was actually uh, like a blog site that I was trying to get off the ground. I had people writing there like Mark Sun was writing there. Um, Lauren Lee was my editor. Uh, you know, I had another guy writing there named TJ Phillips who's insane. He's a really good writer, so, um, I hope that he starts writing again so I can get him on legit. Um, so I had the MTG metagame that I was trying to, like, kind of push this content aspect. Um, I started a site, uh, called doublingseason.com, and this was a finance site that I started with Kelly Reed, and it was gonna be the number one source for all magic finance. And, uh, Right as we were starting that, that's when I got my offer for Star City Games, and I had to uh, make a tough decision, and I decided to go with Star City, and, um, you know, uh, doubling season became quiet speculation, and uh, and Kelly and Doug Lynn kind of carried that same vision that that I had for providing content uh, into quiet speculation, you know? So I've always kind of wanted to provide content, and... I don't think a lot of people know that about me. They just see me as like the finance guy, you know, and, uh, or the scumbag or whatever, <laughs> whatever people see. Um, but, uh, but this is something that I really want to do. So when the, doing the store end of things was always in the works because legit MTG, just like, uh, Star City Games and Channel Fireball, um, we have content and we have a store, you know, and the store thing was always in the works because I, I know the finance aspect of magic, so, you know, I can, I can use that to my benefit to provide a store that has great prices, great buy prices, and just kind of excel in that area. So, with the store, I said, well, why not couple it with, with a content, content site, uh, so that we can also provide content. Um, it, it's a great way to let people know what you're about. You know, it gives, a, it gives the store a face because, uh, without the content, it's just a store. And then people look at it and they say, yeah, I wonder what this guy is, is about. You know, I wonder, I wonder where my money's going, you know. But when you have the content, you can really see, it kind of takes the personality, uh, of the business and, and you can really see what, what the business owner's about and the kind of things that they're promoting and, you know, the, and, and also it's a service to the community to give, uh, content, you know. And I want the community to know that it's as cliche as this sounds, you know, legit MTG is also about serving the community, you know, serving the magic community with good content and good prices and this kind of thing. 
uh, you know, I don't have to do this, you know. I mean, I have a, I have a good job. Like, I get paid well to, to be a, a network engineer, you know. So, I mean, I do this because I like doing it. I do it because I love the game and I love the community. And so, I'm trying to give back in, in the content aspect. Being a smaller store without the buying power of a Star City Games or a Channel Fireball, how do you compete with them? Uh, we, we don't really compete with them as far as, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're fighting for a much smaller market share, you know? Um, they, kind of like Channel Fireball and Star City Games, they have a, a, a much wider, gr- like, grip on things. We are, you know, we're more like competing with, uh, with smaller stores that are kind of like on TCG player using that, that model, you know? Um, so the things that we bring to the table to, to compete with any, any store, any vendor are, you know, uh, we, we really try to keep the, the prices low, you know? I mean, that's, that's the easiest thing you can do to attract people. Uh, people who don't know what you're about, they're gonna want something, they're gonna want something tangible. So, and so the best place to do it is in the wallet. So, we're all, we offer really low prices, um, definitely prices that are lower than Channel Fireball or Star City Games. And, um, it just like customer service, you know, it's just the basic stuff. I, um, it seems basic. I feel funny talking about this stuff because this is all like business 101, right? You, you try to offer uh, a really good product. Um, you try to offer a good price and, you know, there's different ways to market yourself in the pricing realm. Uh, we're, we're marketing ourselves as lower prices. Um, and, you know, you give good customer service. This all seems like simple stuff, but when you look at some of these smaller stores, like, um, they're, they're not as reliable as like a Star City game. So you basically have two options. You can buy from Star City Games or Channel Fireball. You can pay more, but you have the reliability and the customer service that you're looking for, you know? Or you can try to save money by buying from a smaller store, but sometimes you get, uh, you get burned, you know, by the customer service or like one of the things that used to just annoy me was, um, so this speculation, like business is booming, you know, and whenever like a new card gets spoiled or or something like that, um, what'll happen is there'll be a run on a card. Okay, so this just happened with Personal Tutor. Uh, have you heard about Personal Tutor and and like this kind of finance aspect? Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So I'll you I'll be quick so that I can use this example. So basically, with Personal Tutor. Um, what happened is a new card got spoiled where you could take an extra turn. It's a sorcery. So people are naturally going to be trying to pick up personal tutor. So what happens is, is if you try to buy personal tutor from the small stores, a lot of times what will happen is they'll just cancel your order and they'll relist it because they don't, like they're either lazy or whatever, but they didn't change the price. And so you got it for 15 bucks, but the card is really like $40 now. And they don't want to take they want to get that money, you know, they want to get the $40. So what they do is they say, oh, sorry, we're canceling your order. And so that's very frustrating to people who just want to play with the card, you know. And so I've seen this happening a lot with a lot of the the lower-level stores or the smaller stores, and I said to myself, like, I can do better than this. Like, this is so much easier. Like, you just have to offer, you just have to, A, be on your toes. Like, if something like this happens, change the price. You know, I changed the price of our personal tutors when this happened, you know. And uh, and the other thing is, like, if somebody gets you, you know, if they buy them for 15 bucks, ship them. You know, like, there's no reason to try to be greedy and get the extra money, you know. So, so like, I've seen that happening in, in the lower-level stores or the smaller stores, and um, I've, I just thought to myself, you know, I can do better. I can easily compete with these stores who are – who are basically just pissing on their customers, and uh, and the only thing they got going for them is the small prices. And I can give small prices and give good customer service, and you know, add a unique content bend to to the to the mix. And you know, so I just th- I just thought, hey, I can do it better. So here I am trying to do it better. You know. Speaking of unique content, and ironically, today as as I was watching Twitter. 
uh, Mike Flores and you were discussing one of your projects, and that's F&M Hero. Yeah. Tell us the concept behind it and what we should expect. Okay. So F&M Hero uh, is is nothing, I mean, it's nothing new. Like, I always package things in a cool way, you know, when I'm trying to do a series or something. Uh, pack to Power is like taking value trading and, you know, trying to conquer the world with it. And that's a cool package, but value trading was always around before me, you know. Uh, there's people who are better at trading than I am. You know, I'm not the best. Um, but I have a way of packaging things. So uh, F&M Hero, the, the, the idea behind this is uh, there's a lot of new players. When they get into the game, they always ask, what's the best way to start a collection? What's the best way to to get into the game, you know? And what I used to tell them, as a trader, is just buy a box, right? Put all the cards in the box in a trade binder as the set releases and go out there and grind them and just, like, study your prices, uh, ship the stuff that's going down, and just, like, really dig in there. And, I mean, that's that's okay advice. Like, you'll be able to do that and be able to grow a collection that way. But when people are wanting to get into the game, they want to get into the game so they can play it. You know, they don't want to get into the game so they can trade. You know, <laughs> that's not like when when people look at a, open a booster pack, they're not thinking, oh, man, I just, you know, can't wait to trade these cards. You know, when new players are opening booster packs, they're like, man, I can't wait to play with this card. You know, this card looks awesome. So the idea behind uh, F&M Hero is that basically I take the role of one of these new players and I start with a $100 budget, which is typically the cost of a box. And typically, like, the entry point for most new players, they come in, they usually buy a box, and then they try to, like, trade their way to a deck. Um, sometimes they inherit cards from, like, a friend. Friend's getting out of the game or a friend used to play, and it's like, oh, I got cards, I'll give them to you. So they also have this, like, semi, like, crappy collection that they come with, you know. So so kind of, uh, so what I've been doing is I bought an event deck, and because uh, I felt like that was one of the best ways to enter the game is because it's already 60 cards with a sideboard. And, you know, um, you can build on the event deck. And I figure it makes for a good story, right? You get an event deck and the ups and downs and the, the decisions and what cards to play with the budget constraints and this kind of thing. So that's kind of the idea behind FNM Hero. Um, I find that a lot of new players are starting to follow the series. They kind of want to see how I finagle things and what changes I make and some of the other, you know, not new players are just like enjoying laughing at me, getting my ass kicked. Um, I can say that, right? Can I say ass? Okay. <laughs> so enjoying, enjoying watching me lose and uh, be frustrated because it's a, it's a different world when you have a budget, you know, and you're just, you can't actually buy the cards you need or you can't trade for them. So you're just stuck playing a uh, suboptimal, Cards, and I think that's one of the things Mike Flores was uh, was finding. He said, uh, "Tried F and M Hero and lost interest quickly <laughs> because you're just uh, playing with cards that you know are just suboptimal." But it provides a unique spin that no one's talking about right now, and that's one of the things that caught my attention right away. Was it's different, along with the next one I want to talk about, and that's twenty tweets. Yeah, 20 tweets. How did this come together? And there's a lot of work she has to do to make this just to get the 20 best. Yeah, yeah. She, um, Heather is awesome for the, for the task. Uh, she's great. Um, it's, it's kind of funny how it came together. Um, like, again, this is not a new idea, right? Uh, showing tweets in an article or, you know, or sharing tweets with, with the magic community is something that's very common. And they, people do it in shout outs in articles. Uh, some people do it in newsletters and, um, you know, uh, gathering magic used to do, uh, tweets like a Twitter roundup that, uh, Ryan Bouchard used to write. Um, and so like from all that, uh, I just kind of, thought to myself, well, I'd like to have a Twitter roundup on legit MTG because nobody was really doing it anymore. It was just kind of something that people had tried and nobody did it. So I said, well, I want one of the things I had written down in my notebook when I was, you know, crafting the content for legit was uh, 20 tweets, but it wasn't called 20 tweets. It was just like Twitter roundup. 
So um, out of the blue, uh, Heather messages me, and she's like, look, I want to write for the website, and this is what I want to do. And this is refreshing because I had been getting requests to write for the website all day, and they were all like, I want to write. What do you want me to write about? And I'm just kind of like, well, I don't want to do all the work here. Like, I'm busy. Like, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to write about. So she's like, I want to basically get this, this, I want to, you know, get all these tweets together and build this big uh, article from Twitter. And I said, oh, this is perfect. I said, okay, this is already on my list. Um, and you came to me and you said you want to do this. You showed ambition. Like, I'm, you're already hired. Like, I want, I want you to do this. So, uh, I worked with Heather on the idea, and uh, we came up with the with the name Twenty Tweets, uh, it, and because like the first the first articles that w- she was doing was like really long, like there was a lot of tweets. I think there might have been sixty, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, this is like for hardcore Twitter addicts, that's great, but like this is not for everyone, and, and it's not gonna it's not gonna have an audience if we if we do too many tweets, you know. And 20 tweets had a nice ring. So, like, I mean, I guess it could have been 10 tweets, but then 10 feels like too little, you know? So it's like 20, 20 is, 20 is uh, you know, it's a substantial amount. And uh, and it's a good way to share, like, what the community is saying, you know? Uh, that's kind of something that I feel like not a lot of websites are doing right now. I feel like a lot of websites just overvalue the the opinions of the pros, you know, and they overvalue. Like, I love the pros, don't get me wrong, like Patrick Chapin, Jerry Thompson, you know, Mike Flores, all those guys, they're awesome, you know. I I like listening to them. I like reading their articles. I'm not trying to, you know, talk bad about them. But but I think the community just overvalues their their opinion and what they have to say. And I think when you get to hear what the rest of the community, because the pros, that's like a small percentage of the community, you know. And when you bring everyone's voice together and you share it, like, I think that's cool. I think that's what makes it interesting is that you get to see what all the people, random people are saying, you know, not just, uh, you know, Patrick Chapin or Jerry Thompson. Some of your competitors use select material that comes at a price to the end user. Is this something you plan to do one day? Uh, so, like, you're talking about, like, the um, basically premium premium model where people pay for stuff? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I don't think I don't think that's something we want to do with our content. Um, I feel like I feel like I could, you know. I feel like the content is good enough to charge for it. Um, I mean, my content was good enough to charge for when I was writing for Star City, right? So, I mean, the F and M Hero series could be good enough to charge for or whatever. But that's not that's not what I'm about. Like. Um, I, I would rather a new player get access to the FNM Hero series and read it and enjoy it and get some ideas and I would rather their love for the game be spurred on by that than for me to make like the five dollars on a subscription for whatever, you know? Like I just it's just not where my head's at. Like it just feels weird to me. I'm not I'm not downplaying the the premium aspect. Like I think there's it's definitely a business model and it's uh it's definitely one that's good, and it's uh, it will accomplish what you're trying to accomplish uh, as far as from a business perspective, but that's not what I want to do with Legit. What I want to do with Legit is I want more of a – I want the community to be part of the website, and I want the website to be part of the community. I want it to be, you know, just kind of uh, like a gift, you know, in a way. When you were looking for writers – how many people submitted for writing articles for you? Yeah, there was a lot. Uh, there was a lot of people. I was surprised when I said I was looking for editors. I probably got at least 50 responses for editors. And that just blew me away because I'm just like, wow, like, <laughs> there's 50 people who want to be an editor. Like, <laughs> And so uh, that was pretty crazy. And we got uh, many, many more writers. Um, and there's a, a lot of people... Part of the demographic for Magic players, they're smart people, and they want their opinionated in a lot of ways, you know. So it doesn't surprise me that a lot of people want to write and share their opinion. Um, it's tough trying to get through all of them because there's a certain vision I have for the site, and I want 
I want the writers to match that, you know? And I think that part of the problem, part of the problem is with some of the magic content is that people will, will phone it in and editors will let it pass. And I don't like that. I don't, I don't want that for legit. I don't want, uh, I mean, not to say I haven't phoned it in before, you know, I'm guilty just as much as anyone else, you know, but, uh, but when we're talking about my website, uh, that's something I want to, I would just rather not publish something than, I'd rather just miss a day where if someone comes and there's no content on the site than publish something that is, I feel like someone is phoning it in, you know? How hard is that for you as someone who wants to provide content like that continually to make that decision? It's difficult. It's difficult for me to even be in a decision-making process over the writing process, um, because uh, some of my writers are probably better writers than me. Like Justin, Justin writes uh, articles for. I'm not going to say his last name because it's long, and I'll probably mess it up. But <laughs> Justin writes our limited articles, and he's an awesome writer, and he's he's better than me, I think. And so, like, I feel weird giving feedback or advice to people who are better than me, you know? And also the same thing is, like, if I'm trying to tell someone, hey, don't phone it in, but I've phoned it in before, you know, I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite because I I have this tension here where it's like, I've done this before and I understand where you're coming from, but this is not okay at legit MTG, you know? And so I, it's it's tough. And I've had to turn away people who are I, I consider friends who want to write, uh, because I felt like their writing was not what I was looking for. And that is tough because, first of all, they're friends, and, you know, second of all, they're just kind of like, well, who are you to say, you know, my writing is not what you're looking for, you know? Go through the process of getting to a writing staff and offer tips for those who actually want to write magic content. What would make them stand out as a writer to get on a site? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm still building a writing staff. I don't, I don't even pretend to know how to do this. Like, I don't know. I'm a knucklehead. I'm just trying to get through it. You know, I'm trying to figure it out as I go. Um, I'm trying to get smart people involved who can help me. And uh, so, like, I don't think I can give tips on how to build a writing staff. I have no idea. Like, um, I'm just, I know, I know when I read something and I like it, and uh, I think I have a good eye for that. So. I'm just trying to go by my instinct in that in that respect, and I'm I'm also bouncing it off my editors right now because um, sometimes they get to keep me in check, and maybe I might think something too hard or too harsh, and they say, you know, think about it this way, and then I get to see another perspective. So from that perspective, I can't give advice, but from a writing perspective, the kind of thing that I'm looking for is. I, I want someone who who can get out of the way of themselves. Like uh, I know this sounds funny because I have a a reputation for having a big ego and you know being a you know self-proclaimed badass or whatever. Um, but I don't want someone I don't want someone like when you have someone like that who's actually writing and believes that. Um, I feel like they're too scared to reveal their weaknesses. And I think one of the most interesting things about reading is getting to read about people's weaknesses. And so I don't want people who are going to try to protect uh, this self-image or, or, like, to try to improve themselves, their self-image through writing. Like, I want someone who's going to write honestly and just say, like, this is what happened, because that's more interesting than this fabrication, you know? So I would say if you're going to write something, write it honestly and... Um, uh, like from a technical standpoint, I'm not a technical writer. I'm not very good at that kind of thing. But the things that I do know is that try to say what you're trying to say in the least amount of words possible. If if you're gonna if you're gonna use words that uh, that are extra, then they should be for they should be for a point. Like if you're gonna make a point uh, from a style perspective, then that's fine to use an extra word here or there. But Try to say it in as least amount of words as possible because your writer only has so many, so much energy. So if they're reading it and you're just going on and on and saying like, well, it came to pass that we did this and that and so and so and adding like extra anecdotal things, um, that, that could tire a reader out. I think one of, uh, one of Flores' favorite writing, uh, you know, uh, 
pieces of advice is that you have to be able to kill your darlings. You know, you might have a sentence that you think is really cool and that you really you really think it would be funny to have it in there, but sometimes it just doesn't work with a paragraph and you just get to cut it for the, for the sake of readability, for the sake of flow, you know. So I guess those are those are kind of the top level pieces of advice I guess I can give. Speaking of things that are on a lot of websites out there, uh, podcasts. Podcasts. Planning to get any podcasts on the site? Yes, yes. We want to. I've had. I've done a lot of podcasts. You know, I've done a lot of podcasting, and I want to make sure that if we do host a podcast, that it is a. It's a good podcast. So. I'm not saying there aren't any good podcasts out there, but it's kind of one of those things where I'm just watching, and I want to I want to host a podcast that I feel has uh, lots of chemistry, um, that's not trying to be another podcast. Uh, I see a lot of like kind of copycat podcasts or people who are trying to be other podcasts, and it's fine to to borrow elements and you know, but to try to like map yourself directly to another podcast it's not it's not good because i mean we already have podcast x you don't need to be podcast x so i'm looking for that and i'm also looking for some a group of people who i feel are going to continue to produce podcasts so like you know i could find a great podcast and then they podcast for two months and then say ah i don't feel like podcasting anymore and then like the show goes away so then that leaves me with the whole task of finding another podcast, you know? <laughs> and then, so I don't want to do that twice. So, um, and podcasting is one of those things that a lot of people think that everyone can do it. And so everyone and their, and their mom wants to podcast and be like, oh yeah, there's a podcast and this is good. Listen. And then I listen and it's, it's not that great, you know? So it's just kind of, I, I think some people, they just, think their podcast is good but it's not i mean maybe they have fun with their friends and they're laughing and all the inside jokes they're all getting it but nobody else is getting it you know so i i can't i can't publish that you know speaking of podcasts you were on one with uh, now a current employee of wizards of the coast uh, trick Jarrett. yeah are you planning to do one yourself like that get back the gang minus minus one trick Jarrett. Um, <laughs> I, it's funny because when I was doing untapped, uh, untapped cast, I didn't feel like, I don't know, it was a, it was a very tumultuous podcast. Like all of us had our own personalities and there was some, you know, stuff under the hood where, you know, there was some aggression and stuff. And, uh, you know, I probably didn't help to make things uh, right, but like when when we when we cast it, we put our game face on, and every time I listened to old episodes, it was it was a really good podcast. I felt like all of us had great chemistry, and uh, and I felt like the cast was the right mix of smartassery and like actual content, you know. And so so yeah, I I really liked the podcast. I enjoyed it. Um, Every now and then I get the itch to do another untapped cast with Frank Lepore and uh, J.R. Wade. And I might I might just do it like every now and then with them to cast because I'd like to talk to them about the spoilers that come out and stuff like that. But right now my podcast home is the A-Team. And uh, that's my primary focus for podcasts, like for my personal podcasting right now. I, I joined the team. Uh, they were gracious enough to invite me on as a host uh, permanently, and uh, I've always loved the A team, and uh, I think that right now that's the primary place for me. You know, what is it about that group that has evolved from when Smitty was in it to you that seemed to work so well? I think uh, it's just chemistry. Like from episode one, like I realized that there was a lot of chemistry. Uh, the personalities are interesting personalities. They're people that you want to root for. You want them to succeed. And uh, so when you get a mix like that with the chemistry and, like, people that you like, uh, you I just – it's hard to describe. I knew when I first heard the first episode, I said, these guys are – this is a good podcast. Like, this is something I would listen to weekly. And then I think I came on the second or third episode, and I did my best to put their their name out there. I, I gave away uh, 
a Baneslayer Angel, which at the time was like, I don't know, thirty dollars or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and so like I was trying to get their their name out there because I felt like podcast was good, and um, they have a great um, editor, a great podcast editor. Uh, Carrie Dan is amazing; he does a great job. And I'm not just like, I'm not just saying like, oh yeah, I'd like to thank the Academy. I'd like to thank just naming all the people involved. You know, I'm saying like Carrie Dan actually does a great job. Like when I first started Untapped. My one of my rules was I'm not going to do a podcast unless I can get Carrie Dan to edit. And then Carrie Dan was like, "No, I can't. I'm too busy." And then I'm like, eh, "I guess I'll do a podcast still." <laughs> I think we've all wanted him to jump in and do that. He doesn't ask for any credit. He just enjoys doing it, and he can make even the wildest of screw ups sound actually fairly pleasant to listen to. Oh yeah, he's got a real knack for that. It's unless you've actually sat down and tried to edit a podcast, you have no idea like you have no appreciation for Carrie Dan's like skill, you know? Uh but I, I've sat down and edited many podcasts and man when I and I've sat down and been part of some train wrecks, like some of the A team podcasts are just train wrecks. They're the worst. Like we'll burst out into a fight, me and Jay Bush. We'll just be going at it. And then, like, regain our composure, keep talking, and I just get off the cast, and I think, man, that cast is going to be lousy. And then I re-listen to it, and it's just, like, nothing ever. It's just, like, it's amazing. Like, Carrie Dan sews it together so perfectly that nobody can tell there was a fight. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the content is all still relevant, and it's funny, and the timing is perfect, and uh, he's great. He's awesome. So I think that that's part of their this the formula to their success, and I think they're just a they just like magically found a great group, just like we magically found a great group with uh, Untapped and with Crazy Talk. I thought Crazy Talk was a nice blend of chemistry. Yeah, I miss that show personally, but that's just me. I do as well. <laughs> now you had a mutual parting from Star City Games. Your writing brought out the love and hate in speculation of card buying. How hard was it then to deal with those extremes in your writing? Um, it wasn't hard at all. It wasn't hard for me at all. Um, I like I learned really early on that like not to really care about what other people say. Um, there's people in my life who advise me, and uh, there's people I respect, and I want to hear their opinion, and I'll take it to heart, and. You know, those are people I've chosen. And the rest of the people who give their advice when I don't ask for it, that's fine. Like, they can give it and whatever. Like, I don't take it to heart. So there's always there's this dichotomy where I'd get emails from people saying, thank you so much, like, your writing has helped me build a collection, or thank you so much, your writing helped me put a down payment on a house, or, you know, just, like, crazy stuff like this, like, this is actually doing things in people's life. They're, you know, being able to put down payment on a house. They're being able to, you know, navigate their way through selling their collection, uh, which is a big deal if you have a large collection. You know, you've been collecting for years, and, you know, you don't know what to do when it comes time to sell. Well, some of these guys have been reading my writing, and they said, well, you know, this is easier than it, than it, wa- than it would be without this writing. And then you have the other side where people... Uh, they just, they don't get it, I guess. Um, and they're just like, Medina's a scumbag. Uh, he's out to rip off little kids. And, you know, I mean, all this stuff existed. All this value trading stuff existed before me. And I'm just, uh, I was just showing it to people. And people didn't like it. They didn't like that it does exist. They don't like the fact that somebody might gain some value on them in a trade. And, to me, it's just commerce, you know? It's, it's what we do in America every day. I mean, when I pay Starbucks, you know, $4 for coffee, I know they're getting me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I know that's happening. Like, uh, so it's kind of, it's, it's very emotional. Uh, people who respond that way, I, I see them as emotional in a lot of ways because this is happening in their everyday life. When they buy a Starbucks coffee, do they freak out and call Starbucks scumbags? You know, like when they shop, you know, at any any place that sells retail, like, do they realize that these people are not paying what they're, you know, what they're selling it for? Uh, 
So I think that a lot of that stuff is just misguided and misdirected, so I don't really take it to heart. Um, it's it's fine that I had trolls, and I, f- I feel like a lot of people who were trolling me were just helping to spread my writing, you know? So thank I thank them. Thank you. <laughs> well, your replacement at Star City Games, Wes Wise, has been criticized consistently by the people who post on the site. Do you think that's really fair? I don't know. I don't know what would be fair, you know? I... To be honest, I read a couple of his articles, but I didn't. He doesn't write. I don't think he writes for Star City anymore, as far as a finance columnist. I haven't seen an article from him in a couple of months. Yeah, maybe. So I think it's safe to say that he hasn't, or that he stopped writing for whatever reason. He could have got busy. Uh, he works for Star City as a as a buyer, so maybe you know he's doing other stuff for work. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that it's. Like that's a weird question. Is it fair that he got? And maybe it is. I mean, maybe maybe his writing did not sit well with people. Um, I, you know, I don't. I I've read a couple articles. They seem fine. His first article was pretty decent. I thought. I thought it was a. Uh, it was well. The tone was really good of the first article that he wrote. Uh, I read another one after that, and then I I just like. I didn't read many because I I didn't get much out of him, not because, you know, he's not sharing good information, but because I know that stuff already, you know? So, like, I just stopped reading them, and then I heard that the only time I ever heard about his articles was when people were talking about on Twitter how lots of people didn't like him and they wanted me to come back and all this stuff. And uh, I don't know, you know, that's uh, it's always good. To, to know that people want you your writing, you know, so it was nice for me to hear that. Uh, it was maybe a little bit unfair for for Wes that you know he's just starting out. I think he just he just had big shoes to fill, and uh, you know that's a, it's a tough place to be sometimes. You just talked about magic being commerce. Yeah, it's almost like a stock market where prices go up and down constantly. What goes into making an estimate on the future of a card? There's a bunch of uh, there's I guess there's two planes here. We're gonna talk about uh, like first of all a regular card versus a planeswalker, right? Okay. Planeswalkers have different rules than regular cards. Uh, part of this is because planeswalkers have a big casual appeal. So uh, and when I say casual appeal, I'm not talking about EDH players. I'm talking about like people you never see. Okay. These are people who just like walk in a store during the daytime while you're at work <laughs> and they buy stuff, you know? This is the, there's a lot of people doing that. There's a whole subculture of, of casual players who just play at the kitchen table. None of us ever see them on Twitter. We never see them at tournaments. And a lot of these people are actually providing the structure for our game, you know? So that, that is a, a big draw for planeswalkers. So those have different rules. Um, when I look at a card in general, I think that I want to know what the de- – it's, it's very, very simple. What is the demand for this card going to be? Uh, that's the first question I ask. And there's different things that generate demand. Uh, if it's played in standard, you have the standard demand, right, which is probably the highest uh, – I mean, standard – Standard is probably the highest demand for a card, I think. I mean, EDH might be close too. Uh, so, like, if it's he's playing standard, you know that um, demand is going to is going to exist there. So, that's the first, that's the next question. Is like, what is the demand, and then like, is it going to see playing standard so I can determine what the demand will be? Um, if it's going to see play in standard, will it see play in modern? Will it see play in legacy? So just basically go down the list of formats. Like, where is this going to see play? Um, if it's going to see play in multiple formats, then the next question is, is it a staple in multiple formats, or is it in one archetype? Eh, you basically just try to determine how many people are going to want this card. And then you just uh, put that against its availability, right? If it's a mythic, then it's going to be less available, right? If it's in a third set, it's going to be drafted less, right? So, like, if you have a third set Mythic that's playable in all formats, you know, then you kind of have a Jace, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, well, Jace is, like, the ceiling for Mythics, right? Jace is the, the ultimate Mythic. So 
unless something is better than Jace or more demand than Jace, um, then you will never see a mythic that goes over Jace, right? Unless it beats it. As far as uh, it, and it has to be a lot of different, uh, a lot of different aspects because Jace was not only playable in all formats, Jace was also the face of the game for that period in time. So, like when casual players see in like a box or a Jace, you know, that was a big deal. So, it also pumped up the casual appeal because that was the face of the game. Like right now, Soren is the face of the game. I mean, if I open a Soren to a bunch of uh, people who play on the kitchen table, they're going to be like, oh, man, Soren, that guy's so badass, you know? But um, us tournament players know, yeah, it's good in black-white tokens. Uh, you know, it's being removed from Esper, uh, from Esper Walker's list, you know? We just kind of, like, don't have the same... We're not awestruck. We don't have the same response. So... So that's kind of like Jace had that going for it because the face of the game had the casual appeal, was played in multiple formats, was a mythic from the third set. So all of these things kind of determine the price. Let's go through a couple of them real quick since we're getting spoilers out for our latest set. Sure. Let's talk about Killing Wave. Okay. X and a black for each creature. Its controller sacrifices unless he or she pays X life. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that standard playable, maybe? is How does this fit in that category of where it could be priced at? Okay, well, first thing I ask is, is it a rare or is it a myth? I, I think that. it's a rare, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's a rare. Okay, so it's a rare. Um, we know that a card like this was played, Black Sun Zenith, right? Mm-hmm. So Black Sun Zenith has seen quite a bit of standard play. Um, Black Sun Zenith right now... Black Sun Zenith right now is six ninety nine on Star City Games. Probably should have looked that up on Legit MTG, right? Just to get a little <laughs> plug in there. <laughs> so, um, so this is very similar to Black Sun Zenith. Uh, I don't think the card is as good as Black Sun Zenith personally. Um, I'm not the greatest player, so take all of my card evaluations with a grain of salt. But I like this card because it gives you the choice. Um, and giving your opponent a choice is not a good thing because they're always going to do the thing that's less harmful for them, right? Um, I mean, sure, there's going to be situations where no matter what they choose, it's going to be good for you, but there also is going to be situations where they can choose whatever they want and it's not going to, you know, where they can choose something that's that's going to make the card bad. So it's kind of like... This was first explained to me when I um, started playing that card, Dashed Hopes. Do you, you remember that card? Oh, yeah. It's a two black, and it's counter-target spell, and your opponent can counter it if they pay five life. Is that correct? I believe that's what it was. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time since I used to, since I loved Dashed Hopes. It's been a long time. So basically, I used to be all in a Dashed Hopes. I used to play that card all the time. And somebody explained that to me. They said, well, you see, when you want it to counter a spell, they're just going to take the four, the five life. And I'm like, yeah, but what if they're at five? And they're just like, well, then they're probably win. They're probably going to, you know, die anyways. Like, you don't need to dash hope something, you know, if they're at five. So, like, basically, like, the reason I'm running dash hopes is because if they're at five life and they need to resolve the spell, then I get to counter it. Right? But that's like, that's a very narrow, a very narrow situation, and probably doesn't justify playing a card. And I look at um, Killing Wave in the same way, in the same thing, um, because they can either decide to wrath their own board, or they can decide to take some damage and keep the dudes. And I think they can even keep like one guy, right? For each creature, its controller sacrifices unless he or she pays X life. Yeah, see, so they could just keep their best guy or their best two guys, right, and then sacrifice the rest and take some damage. Like, I think players who are good are just going to be able to make the right decision on that. And that's the thing, is you give them a decision. With the Black Sun Zenith, you don't give them a decision, you just kill everything. And so so from a pricing perspective, like, that's my commentary on the playability, right? Mm-hmm. I I don't think it's going to be played as, as much as Black Sun Zenith, um, so I think the demand is going to be less than Black Sun Zenith, and the card has a similar footprint because it's also the game day promo, right? Yeah, I believe so. 
Okay, so in in Blacks and Zenith, I think was also the game day promo. So you kind of have very similar, um, very similar footprints, and so like my my estimation on this card would be that if by it's, you know if I'm if I'm wrong, the most it's going to be is six ninety nine, because uh, Star City typically has the the highest price on most cards. Um, so you know, like I expect, I expect the highest this card is going to be is six ninety nine because it's going to be the same footprint as Black Sun Zenith and the same demand and you know probably less. Well, I couldn't get away with asking without the card you brought up earlier, Temporal Mastery. Temporal Mastery, that's like pre-selling for forty dollars, right? Yes. Okay, I don't think it's four dollar card. I don't know how good the card is. I'll, I'll admit, like I have no idea. Um, it's pretty sweet that you can, like, think twice on your opponent's turn and then take an extra turn after that. In standard, it's going to be tough because if you draw it, you have really no way to put it back. So you just have a seven drop. Uh, people are talking about running it in Delver, which is, uh, insane if you're just, like, turn one Delver, turn two, reveal temporal mastery, pay it, take another turn, you know, hit you for three, hit you for three. Um, and then draw a card. But like, if you open your hand and it's like got two temporal masteries in it, and you have a 22 land deck, like, this is not gonna be good, you know? So, in Legacy it's different because you have Brainstorm. But, even in Legacy, they just have counter spells. I mean, they could just, uh, you know, force a will it, they could spell pierce it, they could counter spell it. Um, so, it's not as scary in, in Legacy, and it doesn't seem that good in, in Standard, so I think it, it'll maybe see play, but it's, it's not, it's not like a $40 Mythic. Like, what $40 Mythics do we have at the moment? Right? Like, let's ask ourselves that, I guess. Rather than me try to be, like, an actual good player, which I don't feel that I am, let's just look at data, right? Like, if we go to Dark Ascension, and we look at the mythic rares. Um, which mythic rare is forty dollars here? Um, let me see. I'm looking through. We have Huntmaster of the Fells at twenty-five. That's a four of in the green red aggro deck, and then even in the green red ramp build. Yeah, and in the pod deck, in the Naya pod deck, which is showing all these results, right? That's a three or four of. Then we got Soren, which is on the way down, anyways. I mean, people are finally realizing that it's not Elspeth. And so this is twenty seven ninety nine for Soren, the face of of the you know of the set. Um, but there's no forty dollar mythic here, right? Yeah. And if you go in the set before, we got maybe Liliana. Let's see, um, you know Liliana's up there, uh, but she's only like twenty twenty five. And I mean, so like Liliana sees play in Legacy, in Standard, in Modern. <laughs> and, you know, it's still not $40. So I don't think Temporal Mastery is a $40 card. Um, I think that it will, if it does see play, it's probably, I don't know, $15, $20 if it sees, if it sees a lot of play. Uh, and then it, it also has the opportunity to just be, um, that other freaking card, Time Reversal. It's, it could be a time reversal. How much does the popularity of commander cards matter and what you trade for when you're on site, like you are GPND? Uh, I trade for staple commander cards, uh, like Tooth and Nail, uh, Sensei's Divining Top. Um, anything that's played in commander that as a staple, I'll trade for that stuff. Uh, strip Mines... Time warp, time stretch, uh, all that stuff. Because that stuff is always, you can always ship that stuff. Uh, commander players are ravenous. They build multiple, multiple decks. Um, you know, any commander player would have between three and ten commander decks. And all of those decks need ship mines, soul rings, tops, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I will always trade for commander staples. Uh, 
Commander Generals, I don't really trade for them unless they're foil. Um, I mean, that's pretty much my rule, is trade for the staples, trade for uh, general foils, and, you know, that's about it. I mean, marginal cards or whatever, I just let people, I'll trade those off or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. You have a series of people that work with you when you go to events. Does that provide better opportunities for you to acquire cards you're looking for? Yeah, like, there's a group, um, every, every trader, um, we all kind of know each other. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's like a trading community. And as long as you're not a jerk and, uh, and you do business in an upright way, uh, you know, if you're a trader on the floor, everyone will get to know you and you'll be part of this group. And basically the way it works is if I tell Ryan Bouchard or some, one of the guys from Troll and Toad or Ogre from Just Games or if I tell any of these guys, look, I'm looking for this, they will just spread the word and keep an eye out. Then when they find it, they'll put it in their binder upside down and then next time I see them, they'll say, hey, I got that for you. And then we'll make a trade internally. We're just there to help each other, you know. Uh, you're not going to see... You're not going to see traders cannibalizing each other, you know, and trying to get value on each other. Um, we're just kind of like this network, and it's it's best to do it that way because uh, everything, you know, there's no bridges burned, there's no hard feelings, um, you know, just help each other out, and and you can depend on them to help you out later. Now, how do you manage to go to the amount of events you do, considering you're married and you have a real job? It's tough. It's tough. Um, trying to balance the real job and all this other stuff that we got going on is uh, is definitely a, a chore. Um, I'm hoping someday Legit MTG can be my real job and uh, I can just, you know, do this full time. But uh, I just try to the, – the important thing to me is I just try to put uh, my wife first. And uh, when she needs something, I make sure that I I – do what she needs, you know, um, or get what she needs or whatever it is. Uh, I try to make sure that she has that because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just me and her anyways, you know. All this other stuff is peripheral. I mean, legit MTG, you know, it's not going to be it's not going to be good if I make a successful business and then don't have a wife to share it with, you know. And so, so the best the best thing i do is i try to try to just uh try to balance all that stuff she's very understanding about events like she lets me go to whatever events i want um i try to make the events convenient in you know the fact that i won't be gone for 4 days i'll just be gone for 2 you know but sometimes it's hard i think sometimes she misses me and uh you know it's it, it sucks because it happens like she's ready for me to go I go, and then the evening, the first evening of the event, I call her because I always call her after trading and stuff, and she uh, she'll be like, "Yeah, I miss you." And then it's like, "Oh, well, this sucks," because she, you know, she would rather me be home, but she was okay with me leaving it when I left. You know, wonderful <laughs> world of marriage. <laughs> but you know, I don't hold it against her. I'm not, I don't don't think that's a bad thing. I just you know, it always just works out that way, and so. You know, uh, it's there's a tension there that needs to be very delicately handled. I was going to ask you about the long-range goals for Legit MTG, but you just answered that question. But what about the long-range goals for you as a person? Long-range goals for me as a person? Um, I think, like, for me, I want to... Uh, I don't really have, I don't really have long range goals in the, in the way that people typically think about them. Um, you know, I have, I have a good job now, so I'm not looking to get a good job. Uh, and like I said, I want legit MTG to succeed because that's my, my project that I'm working on. But like, on a personal level, I, um, I have, like, I have more, I guess what you would say are spiritual goals, you know, goals with my understanding of, of God and spirituality and that kind of stuff I feel like is on the back burner.
because I'm doing so much with the magic community and uh, doing so much with legit MTG in my regular job. I feel like I haven't had time to study like I used to. I haven't had time to um, cultivate a relationship with God like I want to. So I guess one of my only long, long-term long goals that I have is to find a way to make time for that because I think it was a, it was a very big part of me in my life before um, my whole life got hijacked by magic. Uh, so <laughs> I, I want to, uh, I don't want to lose that. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to lose touch with that. Thank you for listening to another episode of Minimagic with my special guest, John Medina. John Medina is a person who values family, his friends, his passions, and magic. If you want to reach the show, email themenofmagic at gmail.com or I'm available on Twitter under my personal account thebeme, T-H-E-B-E-M-E or the show's Twitter account which is The Men of Magic. Thanks again for listening.